Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil. A podcast against shame. That's the last time I'm going to say this this year. Uh, we did it, guys. We fucking did it. We're still alive. It's by the skin of our teeth. I mean, I had a blood test taken, of like a very, very thorough blood test recently. And um, the blood test basically just said that my body is absolutely fucked. <laughs> totally totally reparably but totally fucked and depleted and I blame this fucking year so I'm excited for it to be over I'm already taking good care of myself I'm not waiting until the new year I am I'm being it's weird even at my age even with my old sensible uh, brain I still take new years quite seriously in that I I know it's an arbitrary day it doesn't mean anything it's just another day but for some reason, there's something about New Year's specifically. Birthdays, I mean, fuck all, like Valentine's Day, don't fuck all. But New Year's Eve, I take so seriously and it has such a huge impact on me. And and in the weeks leading up to it, I really think not only about the following year, but like what kind of loose ends I need to tie up this year. What promises did I make last New Year's Eve that I need to make sure I've kept this year. And some of that meant having some really fucking hard conversations with friends or family members, uh, writing some difficult text messages, uh, writing kind messages, you know, to people that I'd had friction with and making sure that I really genuinely let that shit go. Not, not forgave, but let that shit go and moved on from it because I just don't want to like soak in the fucking like poison of shit that they've created. I have investigated my own behaviours. I've investigated what I don't like and do like about the behaviours of others. I figured out shit that I need to get better at. And I think I've, I think I'm leaving this year a better person than how I started. I think a lot of us have learned a lot this year. Um, it's just been, it's been a lot. It's come at a price, all of it, but, um, I've loved this year with you you've been great. You've been so fucking thoughtful and interesting. And thanks for telling me about interesting guests that you, that you recommend to me and, and people that you follow online. I've met so many interesting people because of you and hopefully you've enjoyed the chats that we've then gone on to have. I've learned so much with you and from you and I love your letters and I love your DMs and I love the way that you love this podcast. And when I got everyone Spotify wrapped and we were in their top five, it, it genuinely meant a lot to me, not because I give a shit about accolades, but just because I care so much about you and about what we're creating in this community and how we're growing together in a safe space. And 
So you you actually mean quite a lot to me, uh, even though we haven't met. Um, sorry, I'm being very un-British. Uh, but I, I think it's still my favourite part of my whole career is sitting down, having these conversations with these fascinating people and then reading your fascinating notes and messages and letters afterwards. It is why I keep going is because you're just excellent. And I will, I, I guess if I'm going to make any New Year's resolutions, they'll be take less shit, have more fun, uh, which sounds selfish, but fuck it, YOLO. Um, and also you can do meaningful things for others and still enjoy them. You don't have to be a good person or have a nice time or have pleasure. You can absolutely and should absolutely combine the two. But um, I promise to try to bring more and more amazing guests and and please keep recommending me some amazing people that you find from all over the world. I would like to keep this podcast going in its diversity of not just like people's background or gender, but also where in the world they come from. Um, today's guest, the the one I'm I'm playing for you today is someone who's been on before. This is an old episode, but one that has had a huge impact not only on me, but on like hundreds of thousands of people who've heard this episode before. And so I'm hoping it'll either be an amazing awakening for you today, or it'll be something that you needed to hear again. I've just listened to it back and been reminded of some of the nuggets of absolute fucking gold that are dropped in this episode, in this chat with this extraordinary woman who I found because so many of you told me about her. Her name is Maisie Hill and she is a writer and a podcaster and a speaker and just a joy of a human. So fucking pure, so fucking straightforward, so uh, curious and and kind and and interested and interesting. She wrote a book that changed my life. It's called Period Power. And it's, I mean, I'm looking at it right now because it's always on my desk. It's a book that I've bought maybe 40 times for different people uh, who are struggling with their bodies. And this woman has really done the fucking work to explain not only our periods and how they can be detrimental to our lives and how, you know, like we have to kind of navigate around them. And, uh, you know, she's amazing at sort of ungaslighting you from all the lies you've been told or just the general lack of informed information out there about periods and our hormones. But she doesn't just kind of paint the reality of the picture. She also goes further to teach you how to empower yourself through your periods. And I don't mean that in a wishy-washy way. I mean, actually teaches you how to study your body and then learn how to use your body's flows and hormonal waves to actually make you smarter, stronger, better, all things that we never hear. It's always like a period is always framed as a nuisance, a fucking pain in the ass. And God knows I feel that way because mine are coming every fucking two weeks at the moment. I don't know why. But she reframes this massive part of half of the population's life. And she doesn't just talk about it for women. She's also incredibly trans inclusive. She is just someone who I wish there were more people like her in the world. And we don't just talk about periods, by the way. We also talk about something that at the time was relatively new to her. She was diagnosed with autism a few years ago. And it's something that she hadn't known until her late 30s when she finally got diagnosed. And 
She talks about how it's changed her life and how she's understood how her brain works and how to service that brain properly and and the sort of amazing parts of seeing the world through her lens and also why it took so long for her to be diagnosed because we don't know what autism looks like in women, not properly. And that's why so many women go undiagnosed until their late thirties because of the way that women are socialized. So we get into all of that. It's just a fucking amazing conversation. I kind of fell in love with her during this talk. And I think about this chat and her constantly. Uh, she's fucking brilliant. Go and buy the book Period Power, listen to her podcast and, and follow this woman any way you can. Cause I really think she might be the future. This is the excellent Maisie Hill. Happy New Year. We're going to get through next year together. Oh boy, I have been waiting for this day for a very long time. Maisie Hill, welcome to Iway. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so I'm so like I'm starstruck. Honestly, I'm starstruck. I first heard about you on my podcast. It was like the second episode, I think, maybe a year and a half ago. Ashling B came on as a guest and was an astonishing guest and told me all about how your book had changed her life, your book Period Power. And since then, I have just been fascinated. She got me hooked. And now I've listened to your podcast. I've read your book. Uh, I've listened to all of your interviews. And you have revolutionized the way I think about a huge part of my life. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. God, can I take you around with me everywhere I go with an introduction <laughs> <Yeah>. like that? <laughs> um, one of my favorite things regarding uh the, your work within period power in understanding your periods and honoring your own needs and the needs of your body is how much you walk the walk. Uh, I remember when we were trying to schedule this, uh, the first one you had to, I think you had to move according to your cycle because you were like, no, it's this part of my cycle. Therefore, like it's not going to be appropriate for me to appear on a podcast. And I was honestly stunned. I was stunned, not not in a bad way, in an in all way. I was like, Jesus Christ, she really lives by her own rules, like by her own advice that that was a part in your cycle where you knew it wouldn't be best for you to come on and do something like this. So therefore you moved it according to, like you run your schedule kind of according to your cycle, correct? Yeah, totally. And, you know, not everything is movable, but a lot of things are movable. And I like to kind of test out the boundaries of what's possible when it comes to cycle related stuff. But um, yeah, we'd actually realised there was a problem with my calendar syncing with my assistant's calendar. So she wasn't spotting when my period was due. And suddenly I was like, oh my goodness, we're recording the podcast at the start of my period. I could do that. Like I could do it, but would it come at a cost? And that's like, sometimes what I'm always thinking about is like, I don't necessarily have a, you know, I don't have debilitating period pain like I used to, you know, 10, 20 years ago, I would have been like, oh no, there's no way I can do anything on the first day of my period. Now I can do those things, but it's really important for me to have that downtime and to be resting and taking care of myself and doing 
still working, but other kinds of work. Whereas, you know, if I come on a podcast, sometimes I might have trouble finishing my sentences because, you know, low hormones at the start of your period. So um, today's much more suitable to that because it's day nine of my cycle. So I have estrogen on my side, firing on all cylinders, even though my five-year-old was up multiple times in the night. But that's what hormones do. They give us resilience. So I'm ready. Well, we're going to get into every detail of that because I honestly think it could change so many people's lives. One of the reasons why uh, I think I never... Man, I have a lot of complicated feelings of it, like from years of misinformation. Um, but I think that there's been a part of me that has never looked into my cycle or my period because of how long periods have been stigmatised by men in a multitude of ways, right? By patriarchy. Uh, and women have also, you know, participated in that I did by just denying that I even have my periods. Um, first of all, there's just so little information out there and gynaecology is still a way behind where it should be by now. Um, but also, uh, for so long, women have had our feelings or our needs kind of dismissed over our periods. Oh, she's probably on her period. And so it's become this thing that has been considered some sort of a weakness, something, some, some sort of a thing that holds us back. And therefore, I think it's made a lot of us almost out of like pride or self-protection, not want to admit, well, my period's coming soon. Uh, or I've got my period, so therefore I can't do this amount of work. Like the idea, it, it feels like in, inherently it felt before I read your book weak to me to admit that I was um, able to be swayed by this monthly cycle. And so yeah. I think a lot of people maybe feel that way where they don't want to admit that they have PMS and that PMS isn't real. And, and I don't know, we've been kind of made to feel crazy and our feelings have been made to feel invalidated. Our existence has been made to feel slightly invalidated by this giant tidal wave of change that happens every single month to us. We've been taught yeah. to just sort of like be stoical about it. Um, and so I was, I was wondering if that's something that you ever felt before you started to get into the work around periods? Yeah, definitely. And I think it's something every once in a while that I still come up against in myself and then I'm able to look at and explore and work at on a deeper level. But I think you're right. This is like a common issue that women and people with periods have when they are kind of starting to form a relationship with their cycle or starting to look at how they could work with their hormones. And for me, I just like to compare it to a 24-hour day cycle. You know, no one in the world has any issue with the fact that some people, when they wake up, are a bit groggy. And then, you know, maybe it takes them a while to get going and get their energy and kind of get going with the day. And then maybe they feel quite social at lunchtime, right? So you meet up with a friend, call someone, do something along those lines. Maybe in the afternoon, your energy goes down a bit. And then towards the end of the day, you just want to finish things up and go home and relax or switch off from work. And then at some point you get tired. All of that's driven by hormones, but no one has a problem with it. But as soon as we put that in the context of the menstrual cycle, which is pretty much the same kind of behavior, shifts in energy, mood, all of these things, just because it's like in the female body and because it's to do with hormones that are produced by the ovaries, suddenly it's problematic or it's different or we have to consider it differently. It's a burden. Yeah. 
Yeah, I really want to thank you because it's changed the way I talk in my house because I live with a bunch of boys, like like soon to be four boys, but it's been three up until now. And so now I will just let them know where I'm at, you know, a week before my period, especially the, the two deadly days before my period, just to fuck off, just fuck off away from me so that we can avoid anyone getting hurt. And I'm on my period. I feel bad. And I've started to actually, you know, welcome sympathy or hot water bottles or cups of tea. And they have been so wonderfully responsive to that of like, oh, shit, she's going through this massive change. It's very, very hard for her. She's clearly fucking exhausted. There is a massive change in her mood or productivity level. And they're nice to me about it. All this time, I just thought that men would roll their eyes or make fun of me for being, uh, for falling victim to this monthly change. Uh, Honestly, it's just, it's been so fucking handy. It is. It's really handy. And, you know, I've heard from so many people who read Period Power, well, actually they bought Period Power, had it on their nightstand and then their male partner took the book and read it first and then gave it to them. And I think that's really amazing. And what I know of the men in my life and the men I have known is that they tend to just like a framework. They just want to know what's going on and what they can do about exactly. it. <laughs> you know, and there's a time when them being fixers is infuriating. And there's a time when them being fixers and problem solvers is really helpful. Mm-hmm. So, um, th- yeah, they just want to know. And as soon as they like have that understanding... It really shifts things like for the person experiencing the cycle, but also shifts things in the relationship dynamics. And I get messages all the time, like people screenshotting conversations with their male partners saying, you know, Oh, I know you're feeling this way today, but just remember spring's around the corner. You know, and you're going to, you're going to be feeling a bit differently in a week's time. So how about we talk about this again now? And it's just, you know, when we can bring the cycle into all of our lives, whether we're talking about personal relationships, romantic relationships, our work lives, our relationship with ourselves, then, you know, it just is such a powerful thing to consider. And when we're not considering it, you know, we're just missing out big time. A hundred percent. And also just to be clear for anyone who's listening to this, who maybe isn't familiar with Maisie's work in this episode and throughout Maisie's work is when like we've just started off by talking about the ways in which a period can be cumbersome. But also what we're going to talk about is incredible information about your cycle that can actually lead to you being your most efficient and powerful and alert. We're going to talk about learning how to manage your cycle and manage your life around your cycle, respect your cycle and use it to your best advantage. Um, Will you explain to us the seasons of the cycle, please? You mentioned spring just now. Yes. Okay. So uh, the seasons of the cycle, that is, this is a framework that was developed by Alexandra Pope and Shani Hugo-Wurlitzer, and I trained with them. Um, And basically they identified that each uh, phase of the menstrual cycle equates to a season. And this gives us a really accessible way of talking about the different phases of the cycle. So the time around when you have your period, when you're menstruating is your winter, then the phase kind of running up to ovulation. So maybe once your period's finished and just as you get closer to ovulation is your spring The time around ovulation is your summer and then the premenstrual phase is your autumn. So what's important to know is that these seasons aren't distinct phases of time. So some people will have an autumn, like a premenstrual phase that will last two weeks. For others, it will be a week. 
Um, so it, this is all about getting to know your experience of your cycle and tracking your cycle, getting to know how you are affected by your hormones in terms of your energy, your mood, your behavior. And then you start to notice when you are in each of those seasons and what each season's experience is like for you. Is there a common denominator in how we at least feel during those those parts of our cycles? Like everyone might have experienced them for less time or more time, but do each of these make us feel a certain type of way? Like, cause I know that, uh, before my period, I mean, today my period was due yesterday. It, ha- it hasn't come. So today I feel absolutely heinous. Like, I, honestly, I just feel like my head is a cloud. I'm so tired and I have felt like dog shit for the last couple of days. So is that for a lot of people? Do old people feel like a little bit more fatigued? Yeah, that's pretty common. I would say there are, you know, the experiences vary. Everyone has their particular home in the cycle where they feel most like themselves, most able to get on with things. For some people, that's around ovulation when hormones are peaking. For others, that can be premenstrually. So there, are, there is lots of variation. There are kind of typical patterns that I see though. And one of those is that at the points in the cycle where we have low hormone levels. When is that? Where you are now. Okay, so, yes, I feel so, that. Yeah, so right before your period is due. For, so for some people that might be one day, for others it might be three days. That's when hormone levels plummet and that kind of signals the start, signals to your body the start of your period. And so in those days, hormone levels are low. That's when we can feel tired, Um be quite introspective, maybe feel quite teary and vulnerable. And I just tend to just want to give up (laughs) all sorts of things. I'm just like, oh, what's the point? But I know, because I know that's the point in my cycle where my hormone levels are low, I know it's that and I can have compassion for myself in that experience and just be like, oh yeah, of course I'm feeling this way. My hormone levels are low. It makes total sense rather than making it a problem about me and who I am in the world. Yeah. And how does that impact your mental health? Oh, hugely. I mean, I have, you know, quite a history of depression and self-harm and things when I was younger. And I think if I'd had this information then, maybe that wouldn't have happened or to the extent it would have happened. And this is why it's really important that when we are talking about mental health, that we are including in the conversation what's going on with hormones, what's going on with the cycle, and certainly tracking it to see if there's a relationship between the two. More often than not, there is. So, 100%. I mean, men, when a man hasn't had a wank for a couple of days, you cannot tell me he isn't impacted by his hormones. So I see it all the time. You can tell when someone... <laughs> hasn't had a wank or a bang in a while you know like men are completely governed by hormones in a way that we just sort of don't discuss and it's just women because we happen to bleed it has turned into this big disgusting problematic psycho phase that we go into can you imagine men having to handle like cis men having to handle this issue well, exactly. That's why I just think, oh, I just wish all cis men had the experience of one period, one cycle in their life, just mm-hmm. so that they know. So, you know, this premenstrually, just before your period starts, your hormone levels can be low, but the same can be true at the start of your period. So the first few days, hormone levels are quite low, relatively low at least. So it can kind of feel 
For some people, like they're wading through like treacle and struggling to get going. Of course, some people might have symptoms that can be quite debilitating around the time of their period. For others, the start of the period can feel like such relief, right? Particularly, I'm thinking of people with premenstrual dysphoric disorder um, or people who experience PMS. It can be like, oh, finally, my period's come. And it's like that valve has been released. Yeah, I definitely look forward always to my period coming because I feel like I get my energy back. I also don't sleep in the week before my period, which I didn't ever recognise was a pattern until I read your book. This is all to do with the hormonal shifts that happen premenstrually. And uh, so in the second half of the cycle, we have progesterone rising and it tends to peak around the week before your period is due. And so that's typically when you can get the best sleep actually. So there's like this um, effect that progesterone has where it soothes and it calms the nervous system. So that's a great time to capitalize on sleep. Mm-hmm. And because you can fall asleep quicker, you sleep deeper, you feel more rested in the morning. So that's when I'm like, there's no chance I'm working late and I'm getting to sleep with a book. We're not staying up watching something on Netflix. I'm like making the most out of this because I also struggle premenstrually with sleep. But then I know I just have to really uh, take care of my sleep hygiene and the things that I do in the evening. And there's other things that I use, like herbal support, for example, to help me sleep because I need my sleep. (laughs) No, I need my sleep a lot of the time. Like if I miss sleep because of anxiety at some other part of my cycle, then, you know, or something's kept me awake or I've had too much coffee in the morning, uh, then I feel like... I feel like shit the next day. Like I'm too old now to not sleep most of the time. But there are a couple of days in my cycle where when I don't sleep, I feel absolutely fine. I don't even need a coffee in the morning. I'm energised. You can get by. It's ridiculous. It's the first few days of the, was it the winter, the autumn? Sorry, remind me. The Just before your period is the autumn. Yes. Okay, yeah. good. So, so my the first few days of my autumn, I uh, I have such horrific insomnia, but it just doesn't freak me out anymore. I used to really worry about it, but now I've realised, oh no, I'm absolutely fine. My, this is what my body wants to do. Yeah. I do think it's important, as you say, to like take extra measures to try to avoid that sleep deprivation because that may be why I feel like such shit then at the end of my autumn, just before my period, I feel like I haven't had proper sleep for about a week. Yeah. So that's the thing. Sometimes there's that lag time. And that's why I think with any menstrual cycle related symptom, we always want to be looking at what's happening for the whole of the cycle rather than uh, just the specific time when that symptom hits. So we're just looking at everything together. So the seasons that make us feel like almost like our most alert and productive, you talk a lot about that. And that really altered the way that I now manage my schedule but I still wasn't fully giving into it until like literally about a month ago when I watched you just be like, no, I'm not doing this because this is a tricky time for me in my menstrual cycle. You you laugh as if you're embarrassed, but I hope you're not because I thought it was oh, honestly no, one of those. Oh, no, not at all. Okay, good. It was so just, empowering. But now I think I'm going to be more dedicated than ever to like letting my management know, letting other yeah. people know that actually you need to respect this cycle that has an <laughs> un godly (laughs) hold over my life I shouldn't be forced to just like I don't know like power through I should use it to my advantage um so when would you say is most likely to be the period where the, the point where rather uh we feel the most productive and what is causing that and when is it most likely to be 
Mm, good question. So this, I would say, again, it varies from person to person, but typically we'd be talking about that uh, pre-ovulation phase and around ovulation because, so the start, let's backtrack. The start of each cycle is day one of your period. Mm-hmm. And then from day three onwards, so like third day of your period, upwards all the way to ovulation, estrogen is gradually increasing some people notice that really acutely. Like for me, as long as I'm not feeling too depleted and tired generally in life, day three, it's like someone's flicked an on switch on my brain. And I just feel like I'm back online. I think clearly, I my memory's there, my verbal recall is there, and I'm coming up with all sorts of ideas and I have a surge of energy. Some people don't feel that until later on in the cycle, but some people really notice it on day three. So then what we have is estrogen gradually increasing as we head towards ovulation. And then around the time it peaks is also when testosterone arrives in the scene and we get like a surge of testosterone for a couple of days. And the two of them are pretty powerful together as hormones. And this is when we can maybe feel a bit more daring, a bit more sexy, a bit flirty, quite social. So what's happening across this first half of the cycle is we're often more interested in the outer world. Mm-hmm. Whereas the second half of the cycle, when we're premenstrual, we tend to be more interested in our inner worlds and kind of laying low, these kinds of things. But basically, first half of the cycle, your hormones want you to go out, find a mate, have sex and procreate, whether you want to or not. So your hormones are driving that kind of behavior. So they will make you more chatty. They'll make yeah. you check other people out. They It'll- make you Google Keanu Reeves more often. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like <laughs> all of these things. And, yeah, you know, yeah. they don't want you sat at your desk doing work and they don't want you in the kitchen. So around mm. the time that these hormones peak, we often have like a surge in sexual desire and a decrease in appetite, like appetite yeah. for food, not sexual appetite, because yeah. your hormones are like, who cares about what's in the fridge and cooking food? Get out there and find someone and have sex. Yeah. This is your chance. So... Because of that, we see how estrogen and testosterone affect everything in our bodies. And when people be like, oh, do hormones do all these things? I'm like, listen, wait till you go through menopause and you have no hormones left and then come back and tell me about what hormones do and don't do. Because we have hormone receptors littered throughout our bodies, our brains, you know, just literally everywhere in the body has these hormone receptors. So everything is affected by them. And so with premenstrual issues, like, for example, I always have um, painful spots on my face the week before my period. I have big painful boobs. Boobs honestly feel like they're trying to kill me um, and refuse to get into any of my clothes. Just very disobedient breasts uh, pre-period. Um, and uh, and the, the depression that I feel um, in the days pre-period is there anything that we can do to try to, I don't want to say manipulate, but just try to alter any of those things? You know, the terrible, like I started getting migraines in the last year, just for two days before my period. That's never happened to me before. As I'm reaching, uh, I guess I'm on my way to 40 now. I'm 35. It's suddenly my period feels like it's getting more intense. Like it was at the very beginning. When I first got periods, they were very intense. They kind of mellowed out in my twenties. And now as I'm edging towards probably the end of my fertility, um, it's, 
it's a harrowing experience at times. Worst period pains I've ever had. Yeah. What do I, what, is there anything I can do that we can do? There's loads of things that can be done. And as you'll know, in my book, there's like heaps and heaps of strategies there. But what's really important to know is that a lot of these symptoms are hormonally driven. Um, But what can often happen is that someone's like fitting into their clothes one week and then the next week they're not because they have bloating or breast chest tenderness going on. And, you know, if you're not paying attention to your cycle, you might not realise that it's your hormones that are impacting things. So our hormones, uh, there's various things to consider. There's like the level of the hormones your particular sensitivity to those hormones and then the relationship between different hormones. And often what can be going on with these symptoms is that there are hormonal imbalances that are creating the symptoms. So there are things that are kind of efforts you can do in the moment to improve things and on the day as it's happening. But we also want to be looking at the underlying issue of why there are these hormonal imbalances in the first place. And, you know, at the age of 35, you're kind of bang on track, I would say, for when these things do start to become um, more of an issue. You know, existing symptoms can become exaggerated, new ones can emerge. And really, this is where we just start to see the hormonal landscape shifting as we move into perimenopause. That doesn't mean for anyone else who's 35 and starting to freak out about this as you're listening, doesn't mean that you're going through perimenopause, but you're just hormones are starting to shift. The relationship to them is starting to shift. And often we're kind of seeing the impact of what we did or didn't do in our 20s and in our 30s starting to affect us. So wait, um, what what in our 20s and 30s um, can impact our periods later? Oh, what about having a one month diet uh, house party where I lived almost exclusively on Haribo? cola bottles could that have impacted how I feel now is that why I've got such a fucking bad headache yes you should never have done that basically no 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 it's never it's very it's unlikely to be like kind of one-off events like that but kind of more generally we could be talking about dietary things um our alcohol intake um drug intake and um stress levels also you know sleep um, work patterns and overworking, particularly overexercising, even and, you know, so it can we can swing both ways. It's not always, always about not exercising enough. Sometimes it can be overexercising. Yeah, now that I've come to understand that it's my cycle, not actually my brain telling me, oh, I really don't want to exercise today because I'm feeling extra fatigued. I push through and just do it anyway and often feel better afterwards. But should I not be doing that? Should I be listening to my body? Because just because I can understand that it's maybe my hormones telling me I have to stay in bed today. I always think, no, I know what this is. I'm going to override this stoically. But actually, should I be laying down? Please say I should be lying down. You should be lying down. Yes. (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, I think, you know, for you and for anyone else, really, like you are the expert in your body. And the best thing to do is to track things and to be a bit of a scientist with yourself and to see what impact does it have. So I have been doing this recently because I've started doing different forms of exercise. So I've been testing out like, well, how do I feel 
if I do a Peloton ride the day before my period is due? Like, does that have an impact on things? And I think it's important to also look at the context of everything else going on. So I might feel, I'm, you know, I'm quite prone to feeling tired and depleted. That's just like my constitution and my tendency. If I'm like eating lots of nourishing food, if I'm not overdoing it at work, then I'm probably like, yeah, I can do a fucking Peloton ride today. Let's go for it. And I can kind of push myself, give myself a bit of motivation to do it. But if that's a week where like maybe my kid's been sick and I've needed to work late in order to kind of juggle what's gone on with my working week, then I'd be like, you know what? I'm just going to skip that and I'm going to rest. So I think it's important to just test these things out and to also know that our experience of our cycle changes. So as we age, as the circumstances of our life start to shift, what once worked really well for us and or something that was never a problem can actually become a problem. So this is an ongoing relationship and an ongoing conversation. It's not like you come up with this perfectionist plan of what your cycle should look like and how you should behave and always stick to that. It's an ongoing conversation. And obviously you go into detail in your book, but just for anyone who hasn't read it before, could you just give me a kind of rough summary of how, if someone's listening to this today, they might might just start tracking their period? What things should they be writing down and looking out for? Okay, well... I can put it really simply. If they just go to my website, maisiehill.com, there's a free guide with a cycle tracker that has all the steps in it and some charts that you can start using. But there are multiple ways that you can do it. And what's important is that you just do it. Okay, a lot of people hold off on starting because they're thinking, what's the perfect way? What's the perfect app that I should use? And, you know, just get going because every day that you wait is a day that you don't have data. And I really encourage people to see it like this, that you are collecting data about yourself. And with that in mind, you want to be careful with some of the apps that you're using because some of them are less um, judicious with how they use the data that they collect. Um, But I'm a fan of pen and paper and just charting down how you feel, like what felt easy, what was tricky, what would have made your day a bit easier, perhaps if it is a hard day. Um, I give my clients lots of different kind of strategies working with things, but that's really the basics. It's like, are there any symptoms that are bothering you? How was your energy? What was your mood? Anything you struggled with? That kind of thing. Yeah, I use the Clue app just to kind of give me a rough heads up of when my period's coming and it sends me a little reminder of sort of like, hey, your period's coming, look out. Yeah. And I find that really handy because I get lost in my job and my life and I forget. And then there's a moment where I uh, suddenly want to kill everyone I live with and I get a little alert and reminder of like, hey, your period's coming, chill the fuck out, maybe get away from people. (laughs) And then it's really handy for me. However, when it comes to tracking my period, I just do it in notes on my phone. And when I first started, uh, for me, it was helpful just to start on day one of my period that just helped my brain to be like okay today I know like this is the month I'm gonna start tracking um so maybe that'll be helpful for you uh again my new notes app has started today of me tracking how I feel today which is like shit but also still excited to speak to Maisie um and so that could be a helpful way to start
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week, you know, as you're bottling things up, because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel, you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to. And this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week. You just have this complete freedom. Honestly, I think everyone should have therapy, regardless of whether they think they need it, because it's so amazing to have a confidant. It's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. You mentioned PDD earlier, but like... Uh, PMDD, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Dysphoric disorder. Can you explain that to me? Because a lot of my friends only recently in their 30s have just been diagnosed with this and have spent their entire lives not knowing that this was going on and beating themselves up and kind of gaslighting themselves uh, for decades and not knowing that this is what was happening. What is it? It's a big one. So premenstrual dysphoric disorder is an internationally recognised disorder and it's... It's often described as an extreme form of PMS. And so those people with PMDD, they might be listening thinking, oh no, it's way more than that because it really is, uh, can be a very extreme experience. And particularly, you know, when we think about the flow of hormones through each cycle around ovulation, you might be feeling fantastic, right? And like you're capable of anything. You've got estrogen, you've got testosterone, and then you ovulate and those hormones drop off quite rapidly. And then you start producing another hormone, progesterone. You also produce estrogen as well in the second half of the cycle. But PMDD, and this is really important for everyone listening, is not about the levels of hormones. 
And this is a problem because a lot of medical professionals will refer women and people with periods who suspect they have PMDD for hormone testing. Hormone testing can be helpful, not for PMDD though. So if there are other issues going on, knowing hormone levels might be helpful, but premenstrual dysphoric disorder is about sensitivity to hormones and changing hormone levels. And the way to diagnose it is for someone to have several months of cycle tracking data mm-hmm. and to have a conversation. That's how they test it. That's how it should be diagnosed. But unfortunately, um, I hear from lots of people who have struggled to get a diagnosis and they have self-diagnosed, but they have been unable to get one from medical professionals because there is such a lack of awareness around it. Now, within that, there are some doctors and medical professionals who are really passionate about this and doing an amazing job. So for anyone listening who is thinking that this is a bit of an issue for them and would like to know more about premenstrual dysphoric disorder, the website to go to is iapmd.org, which is the International Association for Premenstrual Disorders, because they have a database of medical professionals who are open or experts in PMDD, and they have lots of really helpful information and resources and support there. So what might be the signs that one has PMDD? What does that look like? How is it different? I know like regarding hormones, it's your sensitivity to hormones, but what can it appear like for people just in case they haven't, they've never heard of it before? Yeah, there's um, a a range of different signs and symptoms that can come up, but one of the the key ones is um, mood changes premenstrually and you know, to the degree where it can be really impacting daily life, impacting relationships, your ability to work. I mean, you know, this is like, we're we're talking about something that has significant impact on the quality of someone's life and it carries a risk of suicide as well. So it's it's a really important topic to be raising awareness of because most people have not heard of it. So it's often like low mood, irritability, um, for lots of people, this doesn't, this isn't currently listed as one of the kind of diagnostic criteria, but a lot of people experience really strong, um, sensory sensitivities premenstrually. Um, there's also a big crossover between PMDD and neurodiversity and people can often be autistic and have PMDD. It's a fantastic combination. <laughs> I say very sarcastically, uh, as someone who has both, um, but also, you know, ADHD, you know, there's lots of different parallels here. Um, but really the best thing to do is someone to just check out the, the list of prevalent symptoms and see if it rings any bells. So so my friend, uh, one of my close friends who was diagnosed, I think last summer at 35 years old, she had been, I mean, it was just like out of control mood swings. Do they have to be very, very extreme mood swings in order for you to, to know that you have PMDD or can it be something as simple as like how, I don't know, fucking irritable I am and how depressed I am and how hopeless I feel? Because I really feel like hopeless in the three days. I feel so overwhelmed by everything. I feel freezing cold. Um, and like, there's just no way that anything is ever going, like ever going to get better. Like I really, it's just uncontrollable. Um, 
and I always look at it as just a mental health thing. But is PMDD very, very extreme or can it happen in ways that feel more kind of insular? Like mine doesn't necessarily come out onto other people, I think because I'm hyper aware of it and terrified of making anyone's day bad. But I keep all of mine like wrapped up inside. And so it feels smaller than what my friend described. But is there a kind of spectrum of PMDD symptoms or is that is what I like I'm describing more just kind of regular PMS? Well, that's the thing. It is a spectrum. And this is why getting that data, keeping track of things is important. And also, I just think generally, we're pretty shit at going to doctors and talking about these things. And what I would love is for anyone who's experiencing these kind of things, you know, regardless of how we could classify it, to just get in the habit of starting to have a conversation with qualified medical professionals who are able to support you in a diagnosis and forming treatment strategies and getting help. Because too often we do exactly what you've just described, becoming very insular, keeping it to ourselves and just like trying to get through it and just like clinging on for when our period starts. And they're like, oh, I'm back again. Mm. And then we just like live for the parts of the cycle when life maybe feels a bit easier for us. And then we're just back into surviving the parts of the cycle that can feel fucking diabolical. So it's... I think if anyone's having that kind of experience and start having conversations with someone who can help you. I mean, I, I find it quite staggering that I've been going to gynecologists since my mid-20s and no one's ever mentioned anything like this to me, not even about tracking. They've always just kind of, whenever I've told them these these slightly more extreme symptoms I have or asked for advice or questions, they just sort of have always, especially in Britain, I found like fobbed me off with like, well, that's just your period. And then yeah. you walk out just feeling like you've been fussy or a nuisance for trying to ask for help. So I do also want to remind people that sometimes it's your gynecologist and not you, that not all gynecologists are made equal and not all of them have a great level of concern as to making us as comfortable as possible. So don't feel like you've been wrong or a nuisance for asking these questions. If you do get fobbed off, maybe just change your gynecologist. Yeah, this is the thing. And, you know, and to give that feedback, like, look, I came with this and you didn't really respond to me in the way that I was hoping for. And, you know, particularly when we're talking about, well, all of these kinds of issues, whether it's like severe period pain, endometriosis, maybe someone's cycle's just gone completely AWOL and they don't know why and they're getting no periods. Maybe mm -hmm. it's like in relation to mental health and, you know, all of these things, pelvic floor issues, there's a long history of us not being listened to and being dismissed and just told, oh, you know, have a glass of wine and relax or, oh, go and do this or, well, your only option is the pill or, you know, and it's just, it's, you're right, you know, we started off this conversation saying, you know, gynecology hasn't really caught up with our needs. Mm. And I think that's just, that really hit me when he said that. So I'm like, yeah, it really hasn't. And there are people out there trying, mm. but there are so many issues that affect us. And there is just lack of awareness, lack of education, you know, for us as patients and for medical professionals and lack of funding, lack of treatment strategies. There's just, um, there can be so many barriers to actually accessing any, any kind of healthcare 
Yeah, Dr. Jen Gunter, who's also been on this podcast a few times, uh, she has a book called The Vagina Bible, and it's kind yeah. of exists in the same sort of world as yours. And I'm yeah. so grateful to both of you for doing that work to help destigmatize and like em- the, the subject, but also to embolden us to fight for just our basic fucking needs to be met. It's really yeah. like, it's really quite mad, isn't it? What we are having to contend with uh, people who have periods. And I also wanted to just point out that I really appreciate how much you make an effort to to remind people this is people who have periods rather than just women-centric. I know we've been bringing up women a lot, but that's in the context yeah. mostly of the fact that I think had this not been seen as such a gendered issue, periods, that they wouldn't be so unsympathetic. I think if this is something that cis men were to deal with or that we acknowledge to something that uh, multiple genders can have, I think we would have taken it more seriously and taken more measures to... Um, help implicate and uh, educate uh but i really appreciate the fact that you are very um trans aware and and very uh correct and um decent in your kind of upholding of that throughout your podcast and your your book because not a lot of people do that and it's it's really it means a lot to uh, some of my trans friends yeah it's really important i think you know to to use language that is inclusive and you know like we have it as just a um, a hard and fast rule like I have an online membership and it's just like in there it's like no gendered language if you put up right. a post saying hey ladies then you're going to have me or Rebecca our amazing community manager going hey can you change the language on this post because we really want it to be um, inclusive. Uh, an inclusive space and you know people have had problems with me for doing that and said, so, well, you're quite aggressive in how you uh, talk about your membership being trans inclusive. And if you're a TERF, which is a trans exclusionary radical feminist, then please don't join up. And I'm like, yeah, of course, I'm going to be a bit aggressive in saying that because I want to keep those people out. It's really important to me that I'm protecting the community and doing what I can to keep it a safe, inclusive space. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just... And I have to thank actually Bloomsbury, my publishers, because when I um, when I submitted my proposal for period power, it was all women this, women that, women this, women that. But in the back of my head, I knew I wanted it to be a gender inclusive book and to talk about uh, people with periods and to to use uh, more inclusive language. And so when I handed in the final manuscript, I was a bit like, oh, shit, are they going to come back to me and go, what's all this? They never commented on it. It was just like, great. And oh, they loved that's it. So great. And it's it's always so wonderful to have the backup of your publishers like that. Can we talk a little bit about perimenopause and yeah. what I should be expecting and everyone else <laughs> who's, you know, near my age? I know it can happen at various different ages, but um, what is perimenopause? What is coming? <laughs> so, <laughs> and help me. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Menopause itself is one day. So it simply marks the one year anniversary of when you had your last menstrual period. So let's say at the age of 51, it's been 12 months since you last had your period. You officially go through menopause on that day and then you are post-menopausal. But the time before that, when you still have a cycle, might be changing in frequency and becoming more frequent and then eventually less frequent you are perimenopausal. So this is uh, the years 
can be even the decade before your periods stop when you still have a cycle, but you start to experience symptoms of perimenopause, which uh, are long and varied because like I said, hormones affect everything. Um, but I am about to turn 41 and I would say that I am like tiptoeing my way into perimenopause because my cycle has got shorter. It used to be 28 days. Now it can vary between 23, 26 on the whole. And, you know, I started to want to stick my feet out of the duvet to be able to fall asleep at night and, you know, sometimes getting night sweats, these kinds of things. So that's often how it begins is that the cycle gets a bit shorter and you start to get symptoms around the time when your period is due. And then this basically continues. And then at some point, your cycle starts to get further apart and less frequent and maybe just having them want a period once in a while and you have less cycles where you ovulate and then eventually you go 12 months and you go through menopause. And that must make tracking a bit of a fucking nightmare. You almost have to become more diligent, right? I mean, this yeah. is all, I mean, everything's just changing. Your cycles are all over the place. Yeah, it does make tracking uh, a bit trickier, but it's still worthwhile doing. So 100%. I will just, I will just put like a whole week in my calendar for when my period is due. Just period due in capitals along the top of the calendar, so that I can see, like, okay, I'm going to have to kind of play it by ear a bit and see how things go. Um, but I think really important because to be tracking because we can really notice the emergence of symptoms and start to notice what's going on. So I have a a client at the moment who um, has like been hoping to go through menopause for some time. She's been quite eager to to go through it. And um, she's finally hit the phase where her, instead of having a period that comes like maybe two weeks after the last one, or maybe it's four weeks, maybe it's six, but you know, there's heavy bleeding and exhaustion and things going on. And then now she's like, oh, I haven't had one in three months and having a little bit of one. uh, But, you know, she's in like a different hormonal um, experience now, because often at the start of perimenopause, our hormone levels are actually quite high. And we might be producing more estrogen in a cycle than we ever have. And that's where we can get um, symptoms of excess estrogen, like uh, swollen tender breasts or tender chest, bloating, um, irritability, rage, all sorts of things like that going on. Very cool. cool. Yeah. And this can last for like very varied amounts of time. So I always thought, because I was, you know, super ignorant, um, the menopause... I'd never even heard the term perimenopause. So I just thought the menopause is like this 10 year period where someone loses their grip on their life because that's what I've seen in my own family. All the women in my family have severe, like way worse than me, PDD. And therefore, I don't know if there's any correlation between this, but all had like quite violent (laughs) menopause that went on for years where honestly it felt like like we were never going to see the real them again. You know, it was just, yeah. te- it was terrifying to watch a complete uh, shift in someone's kind of personality. Um, so is that perimenopause? Because that's yeah. the period leading up to. Yeah, that's perimenopause. And, you know, people who have experienced some kind of reproductive depression in their lifetime. Are is that like more- postnatal yeah, it can be postnatal depression, depression. Right. It could be um, depression on the pill, for example, could be uh, premenstrual dysphoric disorder. 
they are more likely to experience depression as these hormonal shifts are going on. But it is often a time when, you know, confidence can plummet, sense of identity changes. And, you know, all this is uh, not just hormonally driven. We want to look at what's going on in the context of someone's life and how that is impacting them as well. Um, But it is this time of very real, it's like, it's very confrontational. We have to confront ourselves and confront uh, what's happened in our lives, confront our future, confront our health. And so it's, it's very fiery. And I remember one of my clients saying to me, I literally feel on fire. And she didn't mean hot flushes. Like she just felt like burning with rage and you know, I think this is often the age, it certainly is for me, where we realise the extent of our female socialisation and the impact that that has had. I mean, I used to hear my uncles just say all kinds of really derogatory shit when I was younger. Um, uncles and their friends, like, talking about the fact that, well, you know, the reason men leave women for younger women, you know, once they, you know, marriage, I don't know, when they both get to their, like, 40s or 50s, is because, quote-unquote, women go mad. And so we want to go out with someone more balanced. And that was the kind of justification of not seeing someone through or supporting them through this like unbelievable kind of medical phenomenon that they're undergoing. But Uh, also it's like, well, how about we take take a look at the reasons for why this has happened? Like uh, all the unpaid labour that women and those socialised as female tend to do, all the emotional labour we do, the gross imbalance in um, what a woman's life is like compared to a man's typically, and all the people pleasing that we do, the lack of taking care of ourselves because we're prioritising everyone else. And that might be in your home, but it also might be in your workplace as well. Mm -hmm. Um, All the disadvantages we're at in terms of earnings, work hours, childcare, et cetera, et cetera. Never feeling safe fucking anywhere. Yeah. All of these. Constant anxiety of that. Yeah. Exactly. And the toll of that is huge. And that's why like so much of my work now is looking at all of these things because like we can't talk about health and we can't talk about the cycle unless we're also having this conversation with all of these things. And we're looking at improving boundaries, dropping people, people, people pleasing tendencies and learning how to put ourselves first. And I think, you know, if we learn how to do that from an earlier age, and I really mean earlier, like young kids, if we learnt it then, maybe we wouldn't be having such a fucking issue when we're in perimenopause. And like, yes, there would still be these hormonal changes going on, but would they be so debilitating? Because all the women I speak to are like, well, if I'm just left alone in a room by myself (laughs) and I can just eat some food and not take care of anyone else, I'm actually a lot better there yeah. might still be some issue, but for the most part, you know, they tend to know what they need. And like, that's true of me as well. And I just don't want to deal with other humans. I've had a lifetime of dealing with other humans and taking care of them because, you know, socialised as female. So my job is therefore to look pretty and take care of everyone else. And now I'm like, gee, I just want to take care of myself. Amen. Amen. I learned this summer for the first time in like 15 years, I don't have an anxiety disorder. I was told by doctors because I have such chronic anxiety that I have to be medicated and I have, you know, and I only started medication like a year ago, but um, that I have a chronic anxiety disorder, like GAD or whatever. I don't. (laughs) I'm not 
naturally anxious. I'm not naturally neurotic. When I'm on my own and left to my own devices and just living my life according to what's better for me, I'm not at all anxious. Like I honestly, Mm. like I looked 10 years younger. I felt 10 years younger. It was very like marked the difference in me. And so I implore anyone who can. It's so fucking hard if you're a a parent, a single parent in particular. Uh, I know that this isn't as easy as like being, obviously I'm like talking about a very unrelatable situation of being able to be shipped off to another city on my own. But trying to find micro ways to carve out moments for yourself can really change your experience, not just for you, but even for the people around you. Um, You have a book out about perimenopause. Yeah, I have. Uh, so Period Power is the first book. Perimenopause Power is the second book. Um, but, you know, for anyone interested in this stuff, I also have the Period Power podcast, which, as you know, that's where I talk about a lot of these things. I've actually got mm-hmm. an episode, I think, coming out this week where I talk about the very issue that we've just been talking about here. And in that, I like give the example of how, for me, it's really important that I don't go to any kids' birthday parties. I have a five-year-old and it's a rule (laughs) in our house that I don't go to kids' birthday parties with him because it's sensory hell for me and I'm autistic. And, you know, it's like I was pushing myself to do it, thinking, oh, I'm his mum, I should go. And then, you know, I've got to make chit-chat with people, (laughs) which is not my strong suit, (laughs) even lovely people. And there's all these noises and things going on. And what would happen is I would just be so dysregulated after that that I would have to hide from my family who I love for the rest of the weekend in order to recover from that. And so this is like what you were just talking about. It's like the impact of us taking care of ourselves and me saying, you know what, I'm going to skip the birthday parties. My partner, his dad can take him and I'll just be here ready to hang out when you guys get home. So much better. This week, Maisie and I talk about how to talk to your gynaecologist and the importance of finding a gynaecologist that you trust, because let's be honest, not all gynaecologists are created as equal. So if you are enjoying the episode and want more tools for talking to your doctor, then you should also listen to our episodes with Dr. Jen Gunter. Dr. Jen Gunter is an incredible gynaecologist who helps us learn about the do's and don'ts of feminine hygiene, HPV, polycystic ovarian syndrome, how to talk to your doctor about pap smears, and so, so much more. Go and check it out. She's amazing. And I've learned so much from her. And I hope you do as well. Summer. The best time of year usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. I want to talk to you about your diagnosis not too long ago of autism, how that came about and how that diagnosis has changed your life. 
Yeah, because it really has changed things. So I started to suspect that I might be autistic. And basically uh, someone that I know had been diagnosed as autistic. And mm-hmm. when they posted about it on Facebook, I was like, really? But you can make eye contact with me. And like, I'm pretty sure you can empathize. So basically I was just not believing that they were autistic. And then they had been posting things up about autism and I clicked on one of the links and it took me to this corner of the internet where a woman had uh, listed, she'd been working with autistic um, females for decades and she listed all the common traits that she had seen in autism in females. Um, Not a diagnostic list, but just what she'd seen over the years. And I started reading it and like, you know, when you have one of those moments where it's like everything in the world gets dialed down. And I remember you saying, (laughs) I remember you saying that you were reading it out. You were reading out the list uh, next to your husband and you didn't tell him the context of the list. And he was like, I don't know what you're reading, but whatever that is, that's you. Yeah. And and so you felt like kind of very affirmed in that moment because he was able to like, I don't know, like you, you recognize that you weren't just, you weren't able to be to gaslight yourself in that moment, essentially, because a witness to the majority of your life was with no context confirming that those are symptoms that you experience. And so similarly to you, you know, like I think before hearing your podcast and, and listening to the way you talk about it, I had a huge, like potentially ableist uh, misunderstanding of yeah. autism because autism representation is so sparse and so um, something that we mostly see, you know, the kind of rain man version of autism. It's mostly the thing that we talk about in men or little boys. We rarely ever hear about it in girls. The kind of understanding is that boys are much more likely to be autistic than girls. Um, and I'm not uh, saying that that can't be true or anything, but I'm just saying that we don't really have, like Greta Thunberg is one of the only representations of uh, an autistic um, girl right that we have and so in my head I had always believed uh that you know the eye contact somebody with you or they wouldn't be able to have social skills or uh you know I I was was, always a very like extreme and ignorant uh understanding of autism and so can you explain why that is that I mean aside from just the general misunderstanding why in particular when it comes to women autism presents somewhat differently from boys. Can yeah. You, can you talk more about that and why therefore it's been easier to be missed and people don't, women, also people socialised as female, don't um, find out until later. Yeah, because it, it, it does tend to be more, um, well, there's a lot of late diagnosis going on right now and that's often because um, women, you know, have got kids who are maybe being diagnosed and it's being picked up there and then because neurodiversity can, you know, uh, there can be a genetic component there as well. So then they'll start suddenly thinking, oh, well, actually I have these same issues as well. And then they end up getting diagnosed, but it can just be missed for decades. Like if I, if that person that I know hadn't posted, I probably wouldn't have known for however many more years. But I do think the experience of starting to go through perimenopause can have an impact as well. And it's like that can be the thing that really emphasizes someone's experience of their neurodiversity. I think, well, I can only really speak about my experience with this, but for me, the sensory sensitivities are just so much stronger now. Um, particularly everything's amplified. 
Yes, massively. And especially with a five-year-old who um, has a lot to say and kind of doesn't stop chatting for the minute he walks, wakes up to the minute he goes to sleep. And, you know, (laughs) I'm over here going, oh, just a bit of silence would be nice, please. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it makes for an interesting parent-child dynamic. But, um, yeah, I I mean, the other thing that helped me to realise was when my first book came out, I stopped drinking for three months because, you know, you never know when you're going to get the call to be on a podcast or do some media stuff. And I just knew that alcohol really impacted uh, my mental health. Like even just one drink would have a knock-on effect. So I thought I'm going to stop drinking for three months. And what I noticed was that in social environments, I was finding it much harder to be in them. And like kind of struggling to make eye contact, really thrown by the environment, you know, like being in a restaurant, other people's conversation, music, trying to talk to someone across the table. And um, I just noticed that it was really affecting me. I was like, hmm, this is interesting. I never thought I'd be someone who would have any kind of social anxiety. Um, But but it turns out it wasn't that, it's just being autistic. And uh, the thing is that, Autistic people can have huge amounts of empathy. In actual fact, a lot of autistic people will say they over-empathise and connect really strongly with characters and other people. And that's been really true for me. There's like films that I can't watch because I feel like I have bec- I have become that character and like taken on their experience. Um, and, you know, that served me really well in my work, being able to empathise with people and to really understand what they're going on, what's going on for them. Um we we don't know and so can we talk about the reason for why we don't often identify the symptoms in people socialized as female because there's a huge part of that dynamic that is down to our conditioning our social conditioning correct like we are socially conditioned to blend in to fake social cues to fake social abilities that maybe we don't actually internally feel there's a social pressure that people socialize as men don't necessarily have um can you talk a bit more about that and the patriarchy of it all yeah so there's um something that um autistic females particularly do which is called masking where we just literally put on a mask to get through our day and to get through particular interactions or particular um, parts of our life. So for me, um, like I really struggle to make phone calls and I put this up on my Instagram stories yesterday and people, the the reaction was so huge because I really struggle to make a phone call. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I have to kind of, I have to write down what I'm going to say. And this is literally if I'm just ordering food. So I have to write down what I'm going to say in order to feel ready to make that phone call. Um, But it can also show up. um, I'm trying to think, there were the other ones. Whenever I post it, people were just like, what? That's an autistic thing. Like never would have known. But it's because so, you know, firstly, like the lack of education and the lack of awareness out there. But it's also... um, like you said, just this conditioning that we are there to exist for the pleasure of others. And we have to always be thinking about how other people are thinking and feeling and not about ourselves. And so we are just socialized to prioritize other people's well-being over our own. And this is what often happens in people who are autistic and who end up getting so stressed out, burnt out and, you know, needing to withdraw basically. Um, probably to a lot of autistic people that six months away that you described sounds like heaven. Um, Mm -hmm. 
because, you know, just normal daily life can get too much. And a lot of that is because we are conditioned to present a certain way to others. Totally. Um, I remember when we first spoke on the phone, you sort of like, it felt quite out of the blue and it was absolutely great and fine. But you were like, have you ever looked into neurodivergency like in, in yourself? <laughs> I think you put it probably in a much more delicate way. But you uh, asked me that just like point blank over the phone. You were great over the phone, by the way, just so you know. Thank um, you. And uh, you said that to me. And I got off the phone and <laughs> James was with me and he was like, what? And I was like... I just spoke to Maisie Hill and she um, she suggested that I go and look into neurodivergence and because uh, she thinks I might have it. And uh, and then we ended up listening to that episode of your podcast. And uh, I am by no means trying to diagnose myself with anything here, but we listened to the episode on, <laughs> on autism. And he said, not me, he was like, well, that's you. <laughs> and so I have no yeah. idea. I haven't gone to a doctor. I wouldn't even know what kind of specialist to go to. But the point I was going to make is that there's also been a lot of conversation about how, because I mean, even some of the things you're describing, they do also fall under the umbrella of social anxiety or PTSD that might make you uncomfortable in certain scenarios. So it's such a kind of grey area for some people. And therefore that can also make it hard to differentiate between like, is this a mental health thing or is this an autism thing? Is this a trauma thing or is this an autism? Is it neurodivergence? Yeah. You know, it, that is quite complicated, correct? It is quite complicated. I mean, some people out there say that all autistic people will have experienced trauma of some kind because they have had to fit into a neurotypical world when they are neurodiverse. And so there will be experience of that, you know, whether or not that's true or not, you know, is up for discussion. Um, But it's, you know, I like to talk about it with people and say, well, you know, if you do have some of these things and some of it's like ringing true for you, then I would definitely look into it because there is that um, propensity for us to not be diagnosed and for it to be missed. And I I recently had a 63-year-old woman who listened to my podcast get in touch to say that she'd gone and got diagnosed and she was finally like understanding all of her life through the lens of knowing that she is autistic. So I think it's just helpful for us to be talking about it more and more and to be um, bringing it more into the discussion. But I think when someone is thinking, well... Is it neurodiversity? Is it not? Again, going into speaking with... Maybe it's Maybelline. Yeah, yeah. sorry. That was inappropriate. I bring it on. Sorry. But... As you were. <laughs> By the way, this is also something that autistic people can do. <laughs> Say inappropriate things. <laughs> Oh, fucking hell. If saying inappropriate things as a marker, then then I definitely well, But it's funny because like my partner calls the me the <laughs> my, my partner calls me the vibe killer. He's like, he'll be chatting away about things, like if we have people over and then I just bring like the research and the facts and just completely kill the vibe. Oh. <laughs> but I like I make my contribution in my own way. But I'm like I'm I very lucky. I'm I'm really lucky because autistic people tend to have special interests Mm -hmm. that they like to talk about. Mm -hmm. So my special interests are 
the menstrual cycle and hormones and just being fascinated with human brains and um, being an entrepreneur. And so I'm really fortunate because both of my special interests are what people are interested in me for. So I get to talk about the things that interest me all the time. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, if your special interest is, I don't know, season three of The Wonder Years or whatever, then Mm -hmm. you have less opportunity to talk about that. But, you know, when we talk about autism is a spectrum, people often make the mistake of thinking, well, everyone's all on the spectrum, right? Everyone's a little bit autistic. That's not true. That's not what we mean by being on the spectrum. It's not, are you a And also bit, some people or, think, yeah, I was going to say like, it's like yeah. how autistic you are versus how little. Yeah. And it's not that at all. What we mean by the autism spectrum is which are the things that impact you. So I'm really affected by sensory things and I have strong special interests and there are some social related things that I find challenging. But, I'm not being funny, but is a terror of velvet a sign? Well, interestingly, yes. Well, I I mean, everyone listening, like, please hear the sarcasm in my voice. Because yeah. yes, a- autistic people are capable of sor- of sarcasm as well. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> um, but I would say yes, like that, because I have trouble touching my fridge. Right, touching the fridge, the handle of the fridge. And I remember going to buy it in the shop and I was like testing out how it felt. And the guy selling it to me was being really weird. Like, why? And I was like, oh, this feels a bit weird. And in that, and he said to me, it's just steel. Right. And I just thought, oh, he's, this is a man and he knows his fridges, right? Because this (laughs) is his job. So I'm just going to diminish myself and not listening, listen to myself when I know that touching this brushed steel is hell But touching steel is awful. Like it makes your teeth feel soft. Like it's a terrible... Brushed steel. I keep licking my teeth while you've been talking about it because like it makes my teeth feel weird. Steel is just objectively awful. Yeah. Well, I've got this bloody (laughs) fridge and I really wish I hadn't. And... I can't touch the door. I have to have something wrapped around it so that I can touch it. Fuck. So these sensitivities are there. It can be sound, you know, the, it shows up in all sorts of ways. Well, you mentioned a children's birthday party. Like that's a lot of screaming yeah. and laughing and noise and banging. And then you, yeah. you also talk about struggling with small talk. Again, I think a lot of the women I know struggle with that, like a lot of kind of like high achieving, very kind of socially capable women, but they really, really struggle with it. And you just, you know, you're just told, oh, you're just not very good at small talk, but maybe there is something more to it for a lot of these people. Yeah. And it's, there is some interesting research that I read. Here I go with the interesting research. That's like Love one it. Of, one this of is my the place. Most, one this of is my the most. place for you to roam free. <laughs> <laughs> Give us but your best. It's autistic people can do chit chat, but often Mm -hmm. it comes after a deep connection. So we can like go in with the special interests and feel connected with someone and then we can do chit chat. Whereas for neurotypicals, it tends to be the other way. They need to do chit chat first and then that takes them onto the deeper, more meaningful conversations. What does a small talk first make you feel like? I, what does it feel like? I'll just stand there thinking what the fuck is going on. Like, I, 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 I don't get this and I have no interest in it. Like, yeah. I'm sure you're lovely, but I don't know what to do with myself and I don't know what to ask. I just feel lost. Like they have a map of a conversation and I don't get to see the map. That's why you went straight in with me of like, have you ever 
been tested for autism. Like that's just great straight into the deep end. Like, I love it. I just yeah. thought we like we had such an amazing connection over the phone. Like I think we even texted each other afterwards, being like that was such a good vibe. Yeah, because you just went like we went straight into the most personal thoughts of each other because it was a pre-interview for this podcast, so we kind of had to go there really fast. But yeah, that maybe that's why you found that phone conversation. I, I presume you found it like somewhat comfortable. Yeah, it was great. Afterwards, I was like, oh, that felt really good to my nervous system. And I just always pay attention to that. Like, how is my nervous system responding to other people? And sometimes, and I think this is like one of the real powers of being neurodivergent or, you know, being sensitive to these things are. And that's the thing is often like people talk about a highly sensitive person, HSP, which is like, does the rounds on Instagram and things. But I'm secretly like, oh, are all these females really highly sensitive or are they neurodivergent? Because it's like being highly sensitive is acceptable, Mm -hmm. but like being autistic is not. So, and I just... It's considered to be quite like socially female. Yeah, being a highly like, sensitive person like that's something it's kind of a given and there's something wrong with you if you aren't highly sensitive to everyone else and their needs yeah I think I'm, I secretly think a lot of the people who are highly sensitive are actually autistic right again something that often isn't uh, equated with autism in like kind of like the public hemisphere and discussion around autism it's like oh yeah. there's no awareness of other people no empathy no uh, sensitivity like completely you're just on one a one track of your own chain of thought and that's that and no one else's whereas actually you're saying and and you know I've read into this now science says that actually you can be extremely sensitive almost like overwhelmingly sensitive to the point where being in a um I have a few uh friends girlfriends who are have been diagnosed recently in their late 30s with autism who were like oh this is why I can't cope with a dinner of more than five people. This is why I can't handle restaurants. Like, I can't handle restaurants. All yeah. of my food has to be eaten in like a quiet room with just a few people. And I seem like I'm having a good time when it's like anyone more than that. But I'm just screaming inside. And my boyfriend started yeah. to recognise that now. And sometimes he'll come over to me if we're at a table. Like, I can't afford, I can't, because um, of my job, I can't. And again, I'm not, this is not me saying I have autism or not. I'm just explaining that I have this social uh, struggle and my boyfriend will now notice it in me that I'm struggling, even though I think I'm presenting like a perfectly coping face. Yeah. And yeah. he'll just come over to me and be like, you don't have to talk to anyone, by the way. You just don't have to speak. You can just yeah. sit back and watch everyone. You don't have to participate. And just being given that permission, honestly, just sometimes makes me cry because I've never known that I could just chill the fuck out. Yeah. And, and that's not the thing. have it's, to participate. It, it's so alien to us. Right. And we're all kind of standing around waiting for permission from someone. We just have to get in the habit of giving ourselves that permission. And so you being able to know this about yourself, and and I really hope this does encourage anyone out there who's maybe suspected this or sort of see a bit more of this discussion, but maybe felt embarrassed or stigmatized. This is nothing to be embarrassed or about, about. This is just something where similarly with understanding your periods, understanding how your brain or your body works is only ever empowering and helps you figure out how to set like helpful boundaries for yourself. And I think that's so important for people out there to understand that we, even those of us socialized as female can dare to set our own boundaries according to our specific needs. We would never tell someone else to not investigate 
symptoms or to not do what is best for them. And yet we constantly tell ourselves that we do not have permission, that we have to just be stoic. And that really has to change. Otherwise we're all going to have a shit menopause. As Maisie said. <laughs> no, yes, that's, uh, that's it. But, but it will harm our mental health in the long term. And do people ever make you feel like, oh, well, fussy, high maintenance person? Or do you find people are generally quite sympathetic? And should we have to have a diagnosis for people to be sympathetic well, about this, our basic fucking likes and wants and needs? This is a good point. I think the tendency is for me to think I'm being a bit extra more than anyone else because again socialized as female so like oh don't make a fuss who are you to think that you can you know command this of other people etc etc but like it's for everyone's benefit my my partner just always wants to know more and you know he's he's so on board with it and he's just like like recently we went to a gig he bought these tickets and when he was like oh I got two tickets I don't know who I'm going to go with I was like well how about me he's like uh, where will you be in your cycle? <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. Uh, my period's going to be due. He's like, how do you think you'll be with sensory stuff at a gig when your period is due? I'm like, that is a really great question. Thank you for asking. And But it just meant that, you know, when we're having this communication, whether it's with ourselves or whether it's with other people, then we can we were able to make decisions because because he asked me that because we had that conversation I was able to think okay how can I take care of myself in the days running up to this so that I'm able to then go to the gig and enjoy myself can I get him on the podcast I'm sure he'd love to if you want to have a conversation about jazz music (laughs) (laughs) I think it'd be so interesting to hear from a sympathetic partner of someone yeah. who is like sensitive to someone's autism or neurodivergent needs uh, and also someone's period. I think that's fucking fascinating. Um, you're so you're so knowledgeable and the fact that you are so kind of self-taught and self-investigative like, is so inspiring to me that this isn't, you're not a, a trained gynecologist per se, but this is like a, a field that you decided to become an expert in and your work is so thorough and plentiful and empowering mostly your delivery is so empowering you're so matter of fact your podcast is so excellent I'm so happy that you exist I really think you might have changed my life and a lot of other people's lives through your work and I'm so excited to read uh your book about perimenopause um Maisie, I have to let you go soon because we've been chatting for an hour and a half and I could chat to you for 19 more hours uh Maisie could you kindly tell me before you go What do you weigh? I weigh the existence of all the women who have come before me and all the wise women that I have got to train with and benefit from and all of my clients' stories and all the strangers' stories who come up to me in cafes and tell me about their cycle. Like the importance of sharing stories and sharing knowledge is just so important to me and everything I'm able to do is because of all the stories that have been shared with me and all of the wisdom that has been shared with me from others. So that is what I weigh. Oh, fucking hell. Gonna fucking make me cry now. I'm both weeping on the podcast. Um... I love that uh, that meant so much to you and I love that answer and I feel exactly the same way. We are so lucky 
for other women and for the women before us and for the all the people before us from whom we've been able to learn. Um, you're amazing. You are one of those people for me and for other people. So we weigh everything that we learned from you in the last hour and a half and also your books and podcasts. Thank you so much. You're a legend. Please come back. I would be happy to come back. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Same. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code iWay. Lastly, over at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iWayPodcast at gmail.com. And now... We would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. I weigh in my own truth, whatever that may be. I weigh conscious and consciousness and figuring out my own way on my own path in this single disfigured life. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea. Totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.